Welcome to ALH. Uh, today we are going to have fun talking about Scroll. And to that end, uh, we have our second guest ever, <laughs> the first one being my daughter, Kushal Dev. So I'm your oldest guest ever. Yeah, you are your oldest guest ever. He is the chief technology officer at Scroll. I don't know if you want to say anything about yourself. I don't know. I've known Richard a long time. I've worked all over tech, and now I'm calling in from Portland, Oregon. So I, I guess the most obvious question is, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, what is Scroll? Uh, Scroll is a service where you pay $5 a month, and you go to your favorite news sites and you get them ad-free. So it's kind of like using an ad blocker, but it works on mobile, and you're supporting those sites, and you don't get constantly yelled at to whitelist them. Uh, we take the $5 and we pay it out to the sites based on where, uh, where you've been reading that month. I, I guess sort of the comparison that people would probably try to make is, is to sort of like Apple News Plus recent announcement. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm sort of wondering how you consider yourself compared to that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty different. Like one of the things that we're trying to do is um, we're really big believers in the web and the open web and letting people... Um, arrive at the news however they want from Twitter and Facebook and not telling you that you have to use this one app to read the news. Um, so sort of philosophically, we're just coming from a different place. We've done a lot of work to make this work in web browsers, uh, especially in Apple's. And um, <laughs> and then on the flip side, you know, uh, Apple is trying to solve the problem of paywalls, right? So these are, these are uh, you know, particular sites that you read a lot that, you're, that, um, that want you to pay more than you they would make from advertising in order for them to like have a lot more money to fund their work. And we've thought about getting involved in the paywall business. Obviously, it's what people want. Um, but the problem is that all these news sites make such different amounts of money uh, from their subscribers that in order to make something that anybody would realistically subscribe to, you'd end up with a price so low that it's really cannibalistic to your existing subscriptions. If you're a New York Times subscriber and you have the option to pay 50% less, have Apple take 50%, and then also get all the news sites in the world free, uh, you would do that, and then the New York Times would, you know, lose, you know, ten or fifteen dollars per user over and over and over again until it had no money left. And so uh, you've witnessed that no, very few <laughs> publications other than magazines and the Wall Street Journal um, are participating in Apple News and the Journal is in a limited capacity. Um, but that, that's their business is paywalls. Um, Scroll doesn't try to deal with the paywall problem just yet because it is so complicated. Uh, we're really focused on making sure that you can have this like awesome, you know, ad-free reading experience. Uh, out of curiosity, how does the uh, authentication work in this case? Do you have like a, do you have an add-on? Do you uh, sign, do you sign in in one spot? Like, uh, can you give me a little detail on how that works? Yeah. So you, you log in at scroll.com uh, and we rely on third-party cookies um, you may be aware that um, certain browsers are trying to mess with third-party cookies um, in an effort to uh, protect user privacy and, and sort of clearly kind of uh, take on <laughs> certain large players in the market. Um, we, uh, we have some tricks that we use to work around that, um, and we're sort of working with them. We're pushing them, hopefully, towards um, uh, some standards that will let us do what we need to do without sort of leaking user privacy. It is tricky since, you know, their, their approach is if there's any conceivable way this can be used for tracking, then it's, it's, it's a non-starter. But we're, we're doing our, our best. Um, but the core, the core mechanism is this, is this third party. Oh, system. okay. Nice. 
So I, I was sort of entertained by your process for getting it working like on the iPhone, where you sort of used the built-in uh, blocker functionality to sort of get where you're going. So how, how exactly does that work if you're able to talk about that? Well, I don't know if I want to get too much into the details. It's a little bit of our, our um, special trick. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's a little frustrating actually, right? Like one of the things we had hoped for was that um, scroll would not require an app. Like we thought that would be cool, right? Like people have a lot of apps. Like why can't this just be a thing you log into on the web and it just works? Uh, unfortunately, that just hasn't been an option. Um, and so on iOS, you have to download an app and you, you turn on this content blocker. Um, and we use the content blocker basically to signal to the sites um, that this is a scroll user and then go from, from there. Um, ironically, it actually solves a problem that we used to have on iOS, which is that um, I don't think people really fully process like that web, every web browser inside of every app has its own cookie store. And so uh, when people feel like they're constantly getting logged out of the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN or Gizmodo or whatever, um, it's because they have to log in once in Twitter and then they have to log in once in Reddit and then they have to log in once uh, you know, in, in their email and once in their messaging app. And, um, and that cookie partitioning was already sort of a problem for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the app, in a funny way, uh, allows us to, to avoid that problem also. I do feel like Apple should be open to browser competition on the platform, right? Like if they believe they're building the best browser, they should be able to win, you know, in an open market. But right now, users don't really have a lot of options if they don't agree with some of the decisions that have been made um, without buying a brand new phone. Right. Um, and some of these things are truly annoying. And I'm sure there are people who would make different trade-offs between having to log into everything all the time and uh, maybe having a hairless privacy across apps, Right. Um, and there, there are plenty of OS facilities that already kind of undermine your privacy across apps. Um, this is just a particular, you know, they've made a particular trade-off uh, that users don't have a lot of discretion to, to disagree with. From what I recall, it had something to do with uh, just-in-time compilation. <laughs> I honestly don't even know. I, I've just heard rumors about, like, uh, there may have been other ways to work around whatever the specific issue was, but this felt like a quick and easy way. And, you know, I think... It, it's hard because for Apple, there's no one there who has their incentives aligned with getting this right, right? Like in a weird way, Apple News will benefit if people find that they're constantly getting logged out. And I don't think they're trying to do that. Like I think they're trying to do the right thing. But just if your salary doesn't depend on getting it right, I think you make different decisions, right? Here's hoping that at least somebody on the Safari team cares enough at some point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think that, you know, that it's interesting It's because it's such a small collection of individuals. And I think... Their heart is in the right place. It just, it's like the comparison I make is to the Chrome team where every change they make is super data driven and they have like massive amounts of data about what's going to break. And it's sort of a long discussion. You know, obviously they have incentives to not break Google's revenue streams, but also like, you know, they have a lot of incentives for the web to work and they're really invested in making sure the browser works. And they know that people switch browsers if it stops working. Um, And I, I think you can see that in the level of effort that goes into what they're doing. Uh, so one thing with Apple News that I noticed is that Apple News still has advertisements when you go into their magazines. Uh-huh. Now with uh, with Scroll is the uh, is the proposition here that there's going to be zero ads at all, or is there going to be potentially ads that don't track or anything along those lines? Think of it kind of like how AdBlock yeah. AdBlock um, Plus has an exemption for like the ads that uh, <laughs> acceptable ads, ads that they yeah. acceptable ads, yeah. Yeah. So is Scroll going to do something like that, or are they? Are you committing to having no ads at all? 
Uh, we're committed to no ads at all. There's some some weird like edge cases like um, if you have like ads for like your other sites and you're like part of a network, obviously you're kind of allowed to do that. Or if you do like if you write an article uh, in conjunction with like a company like sponsored content, that's allowed. Um, and there's some things that just are hard to avoid. Like if you embed a YouTube video onto the YouTube video, we'll have an ad for now. Uh, but yeah, we're really committed to no ads. You know, what we're selling is this great experience um, in return, you know, and you supporting the sites that you like. And so we actually have like a whole review process with the site. And since it's not like a technical hack, since we're working directly with the sites, um, you know, we, we can make sure and enforce that they really remove everything. Uh, we even ask them to remove stuff kind of behind the scenes that they don't need uh, just to keep it more private. So um, which partners do you currently work with? Whoa, uh, good question. Uh, we're currently up on Slate, The Atlantic, USA Today, all of the Vox sites, so like The Verge and SB Nation. What am I forgetting? I guess we can look at the full list at scroll.com. I know, there's a list. Scroll.com slash sites, I think. Let's see. Oh, yeah, BuzzFeed. I always forget about BuzzFeed. Poor BuzzFeed. Um, but it's awesome. Like, I read it all the time. I mean, the news, you know, the news part of BuzzFeed, <laughs> I read all the time uh, and love. Uh, and the Philadelphia Inquirer, Fatherly. Oh, and Gizmodo, like the whole Gizmodo network. Um, we have a couple of other deals done that just haven't uh, quite uh, integrated yet, but um, coming soon, like Business Insider and things like that. Cool. So I, I remember you have, like, funding from New York Times, don't you? Yes. But no partnership with them yet? Uh, no, <laughs> we're, we're still, we're still working with them on, on getting there. Are, are, are they why they're not, uh, on Apple News Plus? <laughs> are you, are you responsible for that? I, no, I, <laughs> not even close. Not even close. Oh, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I was about to say, well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, but I have a, I have a question for you, Richard. Sure. I, we just got your money. Uh, your your money for your scroll subscription today. Thank you. So how how, how is scroll as a as a user? What's what's the experience like? So, in, in general, it's it's nice to to not have the ads there, especially things that would sort of like automatically have audio. Um, though I guess more recently, a lot of that stuff does that because browser or browsers are nicer to me these days. But I'm a weird that I mostly read my news on the computer instead of mobile, uh, and it. It, it works out in general, though we still see the the sort of like Kinja, particular Kinja deals. Like, yeah, these are clearly us trying to essentially advertise products to make money. But I guess uh-huh. there's nothing you can do about that. And then, and and this has been mentioned, I'm sure, to you plenty of times before. But yeah, it's 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 like TSA pre check for news. <laughs> Wait, did you just come up with that? No, I've heard it before, probably even from you. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's like uh, that's Tony, the CEO. That's his favorite comparison. And and it really is like that. It just it makes things have less friction, essentially. Yeah, one of the big challenges we have is unlike TSA PreCheck, you don't have the big line like right next to you to laugh at. Um, so <laughs> how do you remind people what they're getting? Yeah. Have you, Have you been able to figure out any ways to actually remind people? No, it's it's just, it's a shockingly hard technical problem to get um, sort of a side by side view of like what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems like the obvious thing that you'd want. Um, the thing that we hear a lot is that when people go to sites that aren't in the scroll network, they're like, man, this sucks. And then they run away back to the sites that are in the scroll network. Oh, sort of like the, the green messages on uh, iOS. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> yeah. So are there any features that you want to talk about like that are not advertising blocking related that you think are cool? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we've been... Um, 
playing with that's always been part of the vision is is now that um, the article is kind of detached from having to make money through advertising because um, we can pay the new sites no matter what you do. How can we just make it an awesome reading experience, right? And if this is really about focus, like how do we let you concentrate and really finish something that you want to finish without all this crap getting in the way? And so uh, every article that you read in the Scroll Network is automatically added to a Scroll history so that you can get back to it later um, and search for it um, or get back to it on a different device. And if you open it up on your phone, it will automatically jump to the last position that you read even though you were just reading on the website. And if you use the app, it will show you an even cleaner, totally ad-free offline version. Um, and the really cool thing is that unlike uh, tools like Pocket, um, we'll still pay those sites. So those sites can make money. I always thought it was kind of funny that new sites write these like amazing, really long articles. And those are exactly the ones that get put into Pocket. And then they don't make any money on them. So sad. <laughs> um, there's also an audio version of every article, um, which again, like the publishers still get paid. Um, that we sort of automatically generate using Amazon Polly. Um, and that will also pick up wherever you left off, so it syncs with your location. Cool. Does, does that mean that uh, articles, uh, article audio, is now part of your commute? I guess. I guess you don't have much of a commute. You you take the you, you ride your bike a lot, don't you? I do. Yeah, I sometimes listen to articles on my bike. Cool. When you're doing things to improve um, reading experience, I mean, are you doing, say, for instance, clean up on the web page, things like readability, like uh, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so we don't, the publisher is in charge of cleaning up their webpage. You know, they, they still want to bring you to other parts of the site and they still want it to feel like their site. So it's like not as extreme as readability is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you open an article up in the app, though, it will be, you know, as clean. Um, and one of the things that I really like is that um, even though it's cleaned up, it still has like um, brand specific like typography and color and stuff. Um, so it's okay. not as like sort of soulless as some of the other like readability type things. Are you um, going to provide any sort of like tools to your publishers to? be able to more automatically clean stuff up? Uh, no, it really is in their hands. <laughs> like the more we work with publishers, the more we learn that uh, they all have their own like crazy custom things and they just kind of need to work through it themselves. We do some manual auditing of what they've done. And like in the, in the distant future, it'd be cool for that to be automatic. Um, but we're not, we're not there yet. What, what do you do for the auditing? Uh, we just kind of open it up with Ghostery and, and see what trackers are. <laughs> we check them against the list of what's okay and what's not okay, and then we get back to them. Bad, bad publisher. <laughs> well, it was really funny because for a while Ghostery was screwing with our cookies. Um, thankfully, they've moved us into the acceptable uh, usage list. But for a while, in the process of testing, you would keep losing your scroll authentication, and so then you would just get really confused about. What oh dear. Yeah. Cool. So um, th- this is a bit of a tangent. Everyone misses a uh, Google Reader. <laughs> One of the things that I miss the most about Google Reader uh-huh. is it was sort of like a an educated social network kind of thing where like uh-huh. you could sort of passively share stuff that you liked and not like shoving it in people's faces. And so if they decided to go and look at the stuff that you decided to share and comment and whatnot on it. Uh, they could, and I sort of missed that. Are there are there any sort of plans to add any social aspects to scroll? Um, it's come up, <laughs> but not anytime soon. I, you know, we got we got our hands full right now. Um, I agree, it would be cool. Um, you know, and it like our mission is to really sort of um, clean up the whole experience, right? And so um, it would be interesting to play with stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it's nothing, nothing in the short term. I agree. It'd be cool. I do get a lot of bug reports from uh, one of my friends who uses Reader all the time on their phone. <laughs> that would be me. 
<laughs> Wait, so, so are, Mark, I'm curious, like, are you now an Apple News user after the, did you end up signing up for Plus and stuff? Yeah, I did end up signing up for Plus, but I find that, uh, I find I haven't used it that much. I find I still read most of the stuff that I read through the web. Yeah. So this is what, <laughs> this is what sounds so intriguing about uh-huh. Scroll is yeah. like, I'm actually, uh, the fact that it's accessible via the web compared to, you know, uh, Apple News Plus basically having an app and that's it. I'm actually excited about that. And uh, I went ahead and I, I signed up. So I'm just wait. <laughs> I, I signed up for scroll. I'm just waiting for approval. Okay. I, I can hook you up. You, you should make your own custom RSS reader for, for scroll. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, within reader, you can authenticate. Um, but w- what would you want from a custom scroll RSS reader? I, I basically missing Google reader and like maybe <laughs> highlight the stuff that is available that are your partners, Fair. stuff like that. What what Richard is secretly hoping for is that Scroll rebuilds Google Reader and then is acquired by Google and then it becomes Google Re- Reader. No, 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 no. If Google <laughs> acquired it, they would like kill it after three weeks and uh, <laughs> then we wouldn't be able to use it again. So, like getting back to paying the uh, the publishers, like you said, it's based off of the amount of time that they spend or. Yeah, exactly. So um, we look at how much time you actually spend reading. Um, So Tony and I used to work together at this company called Chartbeat. um, And its big thing was telling journalists like how much actual time was spent reading by looking at keyboard and mouse movement and stuff like that, instead of just, um, you know, how long the page was open or up on a screen. Uh, And so we have a lot of that DNA and scroll where um, we measure how long you're actually reading, and then we pay out based on that. Um, and it's definitely not perfect, but we think it's a lot better than page views. You know, it rewards like actual long journalism. It, it like doesn't reward like clickbaity headlines. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the model. Have you thought of like, cause sometimes like a shorter article can be like more useful or relevant to a, than a longer article. Have you thought about like hybrid, hybridizing it or anything like that? Like click gets you part of the way and then time is sort of like an add on or. Um, yeah, I mean, it came up early on, um, but we haven't received a lot of resistance. I think uh, you should be able to make it up in volume, <laughs> right? Like if, you write a lot of great, if you write a lot of great content, people should keep coming back to you um, and you should win out in the end. Okay. Um, and there's actually a component of the model that um, pays out for, um, for clicks you generate. So if I write a short summary of something and send you to some other news site, um, I actually get like a cut of the revenue from the other news site if it's also a scroll site. Oh. Um, and so... There, we think that it all washes out and people have have mostly not sort of complained about that part of it. Cool. So one thing that I was kind of curious about is uh, if you're able to talk about it, integrating support for scroll, like if you're a partner, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, I'm kind of curious about the technical aspects of uh, how, uh-huh. um, how a website actually integrates scroll support. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy. We, um, we set this cookie uh, and they just look for it and they, they check the signature of it um, and then they, they wrap all their ads and if statements. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really the whole thing. It's like quite simple. Um, I think the, the big challenge is always just for them to track down all the places the ads are being inserted and like dealing with caches. You know, like we have a thing that like plugs into Fastly and like deals with it there. But yeah, I think it's actually, you know, shockingly simple. So your guide is just checking for the existence of a, co- of a specific cookie or... Uh, and then validating the signature on it, yeah. Okay. Very, very simple API, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, you know, it's it's funny because it's like, I feel like third-party cookies, 
they've gotten such a bad reputation from, you know, uh, from advertising or whatever, but they do sort of facilitate, you know, there's like this vision of the web as this like cool thing where like everything works together and you're not like constantly moving between like these heavyweight apps or whatever. And, and you know, when it works, it works, right? Like <laughs> things are pretty magical. It's like cool. Like uh, there's not all this like heavy app switching. Like if they don't need to do any sort of prep for their articles, how, how do you manage like your scroll homepage where you grab articles from the various partners and everything? There's no sort of uniform way to do that. You just set up an arbitrary scraper or whatever. Yeah. I mean, getting metadata about articles is easy. Like everyone uses open graph tags now. Okay. Um, but, you know, for the app, we have to get the actual article content, um, mm-hmm. which is just a bunch of custom stuff. Nothing. I see. No magic. <laughs> um, but magic is cool. Yeah. It's sort of funny because like, when we were starting, there was actually a lot of people were kind of excited about um, not having another format to export to because they have to export to Facebook Instant Articles and they have to export to Apple News and they have to export to AMP and they're, they're maintaining like five versions of every template or whatever. The season's shifted a little because since then there have been no new templates and now they're like, oh, like we just, it's really hard for us to work with our website or we're switching website technologies or whatever. <laughs> like, um, you can't win. <laughs> it's, I think the upshot of all that. But yeah. I think that's the major questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to just sort of add to that? Like, do you, do you want to have a, a, a plea for everyone to help fund important journalism? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I always thought people who use ad blockers should at least feel guilty. You're kind of stealing the news. If everybody did it, there would be no news. And people often talk about, man, I wish there was like some way I could just pay instead. And, you know, scroll's kind of a chance to put your money where your mouth is um, and really support these sites. I mean, I guess one place where I agree with some of the more extreme privacy people, it's like, it's sort of funny, like how little money ads make, <laughs> you know, like it's just... Um, <laughs> There, like we can easily beat what these sites are making from advertising. It's not just better for you; it's also better for them. One of the things I really hope here is that if this uh, if this really takes off, that um, it will actually affect the price of advertising and make it uh, make it where the return on advertising ends up being less than what it is right now, and even you know discourage it more. Yeah, I don't. I, I, advertising is a complicated system. Like I think one of the things that's interesting is all of these efforts to try to reduce ad targeting on the web will actually just make the inventory on Google and Facebook and Twitter more valuable. Right? <laughs> um, like people want to target ads. There's a risk that you're really just taking the money away from publishers uh, and making the, these you know large entities even richer and taking more of the advertising share. Um, you know, it's hard to predict, obviously, like not everything works out that way, but um, like with the changes in Safari, like publishers already were making less money than they were before from Safari users. And they were able to kind of brush it off because it's not a huge part of the market, you know, in a global sense. But, you know, they have all these probabilistic methods, like <laughs> ads, ads are always going to kind of, I thought it was really funny to read about, do you see this article about the New York Times um, targeting based on mood? No. no. They're like, they're like, we surveyed users who read articles about what mood they felt after reading the article. And then we trained a machine learning model to predict what mood people would feel after reading an article. And now you can buy ads against people who the New York Times thinks will be sad or happy or <laughs> whatever. You know, it's just like, like there's some things that I feel like are... Um, this article brought to you by Lexapro. It's easy to make things that are kind of innocuous sound creepy. And, um, mm. and I think that's like a great example, right? Because it's like, well, this is like more private in one sense, but like privacy is like such a nebulous concept. That, you know, that's just, <laughs> that is the world. The world will find a way to try to reach you. 
uh, in the right way at the right time in order to sell you products. And sometimes you'll find a product you like and it works out, you know? It's uh, it's kind of like Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, except saying ads find a way. <laughs> I know. Well, I think, you know, an example I always think about, so we, we bring users in for research all the time. And um, we met this woman who was like, oh, you know, I like... I found like a cure for, or not a cure, but like some amazing treatment for like a disease that she has through like a targeted ad on Facebook. And it's like, if I told you that people were targeting ads based on your medical conditions, you'd be like, that's creepy as hell. But then if I was like, oh, but it might actually like help direct you towards a cure, you'd you'd like totally change your tune, right? These issues are so complicated, right? Like I don't necessarily wish wish ill on the advertising world, um, but I think the part to me personally that I find more frustrating is just like the level of distraction right like it's not advertising as a concept that bothers me it's the fact that it's like flashing and popping up and you know all that kind of stuff that i'm really excited to get rid of and let people just like read a website without all that nonsense speaking of the flashing and popping up the uh, there seems to be like a, a gmail update recently where it before like the little sponsored things at the top of the other sections were just sort of there when you open it but now there's a very slight delay between when you click the tab and when the like little advertisement things pop up so i'll click on the very first i was intending to click on the very first email and like it'll pop in and i'll accidentally click on the ad email instead and it's infuriating i can't even remember the last time i saw an ad in gmail but I agree that things shifting around is totally infuriating. You really don't have like the sponsored emails when you go into like the t- other no, tabs. No, I don't know why. I don't use the other tabs. Is that why? Oh, that's probably why. Yeah, it's, it really doesn't funny. show up. It doesn't show up in primary. It just shows up in all it, the other tabs. Have you tried the simplify extension yet, though? The thing has changed my life. No, what Other does that do? Stop working, and now I'm really just angrier than I was before. <laughs> You're making a very good case for this here. Uh, this guy, Michael Leggett, who was like one of the original designers on Gmail, he wrote a Chrome extension that like cleans up Gmail like radically. So there's not all the like garbage all over it. Um, and it was beautiful, but then it stopped working and now I'm, now I'm sad, but I assume he'll find a way to fix it. Well, we can hope. I don't know if I should try this or not. I, it seems to be working on my corporate email again. So maybe it will start working on my personal email again. Do you want to have the fun discussion about, uh, the podcast tracking stuff for advertisements? I mean, I do feel like people should be able to collect data about podcasts. Why is that so controversial? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people need to know what's being used, right? Like you build an app, you want to know who's clicking on which buttons, you want to know how far they get into things. Even for non-money-making purposes, it's like really important for you to know how far people are listening into your podcast, what they're skipping, things like that. I mean, what's the argument against it? Well, the even if, it, even if you try and anonymize it, you can still get privacy-related things like, say, you paused at a particularly sensitive area or, or something like that. You know, I think if you want podcasts to get better, then you also need data, right? Like, nothing, very few things in the world have gotten better without some kind of data, right? Like, I think we've gotten, like, so obsessed with, like, data in, like, our web app experience, I feel like. We forget that also when you walk into a grocery store or like when you drive down the street or uh, when you pay your taxes or when you use a credit card or like, like data is like the engine that fuels a lot of things. Yeah, I, I think part of the pushback against it is that this data has been used on the web to essentially make sort of samey kinds of articles where it's sort of trying to be attention grabbing and get you to click through and 
optimized on what it thinks people will actually go and look at and read instead of what might be like sort of a deeper article instead. Yeah. But if you're a podcast, like, and you're really trying to make it as a business, like you're going to try to get people to listen to your podcast anyway. Right. Like this tightens the feedback loop a little bit, but it doesn't like radically change. Well, I think the worry that the people might start to like hyper optimize again for things that in the long term might not be that great. Maybe. I mean, right now, if, if people are selling advertising based on downloads because they don't have play data, really, then that's actually like a worse metric, right? Like, it's like, can I trick somebody into subscribing? Whereas unlike a, unlike, on like a web page where just opening the article triggers payment, on a podcast, a person can easily switch away from the podcast if they find that they're being deceived and that, you know, then they would have the data <laughs> that shows that they, although they got somebody to download the thing, the person did not go on to listen to it. Um, I, I guess that's yeah. fair. Though, um, I guess iTunes recently did have um, the ability to sort of get data about where you left off and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and, and I guess the results are um, most people who download it eventually listen to it. Uh, most of the people listen most of the way through and about some reasonably high percentage of the people skip the ads. But wouldn't you, I feel like, like if you had a podcast and you're trying to make a business, you would want to know like, which ones did people really finish? Like which, you know, which had the most skipping? Like you'd want a lot more information about, and I also feel like on the privacy end, there's this sense, I feel like it's so easy to sort of like confuse like anonymous and like known or whatever, like, like it's not like you're going to know that your mom paused at that point, right? Like, there's no <laughs> version of this where you know that which one your mom is, right? You know that somebody paused at some point and at scale, that's like, it's not obvious that that data is like particularly nefarious or problematic, right? In the, in the case of like apples, I guess people generally trust that they try and keep user privacy as okay. being important. Whereas with what was, was it NPR that had the standard? I forget. Right. Um, with that, you can't necessarily, you don't, you don't necessarily know that like all of the people that would be implementing this standard are as, uh, focused on user privacy. Yeah. I mean, what privacy like in this context is like, again, there's no, there's no connection to your identity, right? Like they, even if they then like a unique URL to every person, you know, all you know is like how that URL performed, right? There, there's services that link IP addresses to individual people, so... Right. But I mean, that's sort of probabilistic. And like, that's, that's a risk you take using any podcast listening app already, right? Like that, that actually, there is no defense against all you're doing is you're taking this already, like, you know, IP addresses, which are already not perfectly anonymous. And now you're adding this other dimension of like, um, play data. I, I mean, it's just, I don't know. So now I have to turn my VPN on when I listen to podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, or connect your corporate network. Yeah, it, it's not something I feel yeah. super strongly about, but uh, it doesn't yeah. seem like there's a lot of real incentive for, say, the podcast player makers to actually implement it. But then, at the same time, I guess what it comes to is if you're creating a shadow profile of somebody, depending on what they're listening to, you can make certain assumptions about them. Like, say, for instance, if they're listening to a health if they're listening to a health podcast about cancer, mm -hmm. you know, you can potentially uh, 
you can potentially find that, you know, yeah. say that this person has a, a decent chance that they're actually sick. Kind of, you know, you know, kind of similar to uh, the whole thing with Target, right. that uh, Target was able to predict via people's shopping habits that, you know, the woman was pregnant and right. ended up sending ads. Well, but like what, what action have you taken to keep Target from having that data in the future? Yeah, no, that, no, nobody actually does. That's right. Yeah, nobody does. Or it was either an article or a podcast where somebody was saying that the benefits of, uh, you know, the benefits of data are very concrete, but the erosion of privacy, the the downsides of it are usually fuzzy and more nebulous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's true, but I also feel like it's easy to scare people about privacy. Like if, if I told you that there was going to be a book published with everyone's phone number in it, you would be like, what the actual f***? Well, it, turns out, it turns out that for decades, we had just such a thing, right? Like, like if I told you that a large entity had every tax return of yours, you'd be like, what the f***? And then I'd be like, oh, it's the IRS. And you'd be like, oh, okay. Right? Like, it just, it, like, like it's just easy to make these things that are just normal sound really malicious. Um, and especially in a world where, like, security is inadequate, it's easy to get, con- like, not confused, but to freak out about, like, data breaches, which... I'm much more nervous about a data breach of Gmail than I am of a data breach of the ad data network, right? Um, oh, yeah. Anything I do that's actually sensitive, I do incognito and like, you know, it's just like what, whatever. So, mm. so um, only your ISP knows. Exactly, <laughs> right? And like my ISP selling my data and like Congress is like, you know, like it's easy to get distracted by the things that sound bad, but might actually be good. Like somebody knowing about your health condition and sending you in the right direction to get better about it, you know, like find a treatment or whatever. Um, that sounds sketchy, but it's actually significantly less sketchy than your ISP selling all your browsing. Definitely true. Can we talk about the MacBook Pro before I go? Because I just bought two MacBook Pros and now I'm trying to return them and I'm sort of angry about the whole situation. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay, so let's talk about the MacBook Pro update then. Apple recently updated the MacBook Pro. They basically bumped the CPU and they have a different material for the butterfly keyboard. I, I'm really disappointed that it's still a butterfly keyboard mechanism. They also had not admitted that there was anything wrong with the old butterfly keyboard, right? Well, they don't want to open themselves up to lawsuits. They expanded their keyboard replacement program, which, by the way, their brand new keyboard is a part of. Just shows that they're super <laughs> confident that these mm. new MacBook mm. Pro keyboards are going to be awesome. I mean, they're hedging. And I mean, I, I understand why, because the last time they did this in 2018, it was supposedly going to uh, fix the whole deal. Well, I think they never announced that they that it was going to fix it. They The people were guessing that the membrane was put there for the reliability reasons, but it turned out that it didn't work. And there's an interesting article basically talking about how dust is not the actual culprit in these things. The most convincing part of the argument being that the key errors, like where you have the double keys or the mushy keys, are not sort of uniformly distributed. They're almost entirely the most commonly used keys on the keyboard. So it seems like it's more of a wear issue. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get dust specifically where you type the most. I mean, that, <laughs> uh, that, that doesn't quite make sense there, but yeah. And maybe this new material that they picked is less likely to degrade over gazillions of key presses, but I am not holding my breath. Let's see, is there anything else that's interesting about the new MacBook Pros? Well, they have the 8-core 15s, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, and the GPU is a uh, Vega 20. 
Did they add a Vega option? I remember they updated the GPUs uh, about six months ago, right? There is indeed a Vega option. Well, there was back then too, right? Like about in in October or whatever. Are you sure that was the MacBook? Yeah, the MacBook Pros were updated with the Vega GPUs like um, at the end of last year, I think. So there's the Pro 560X, the Vega 16, and the Vega 20. So are any of those new for this round? Because I remember the Vega, there was definitely a Vega one um, a little while ago. So Kushal, what did, did the... Did the MacBook Pros you're trying to replace have the Vega GPUs or are they just sort of the regular ones? I I don't even know. <laughs> just, did, did you get like top of the line? Yeah. And actually one of them, I think they're not going to let me return because it was like a oh, no. bill. So we'll oh, see about man. that. I'm actually, uh, I'm going to be getting a new one for my work. So you're not going to wait for WWDC in like a couple of weeks? I don't see them coming out with a 16-inch MacBook Pro. But all the rumors. <laughs> to, really? To... Two weeks no after way. doing a refresh, no way. I don't know, but it, but it's a whole new model, so maybe they'd even call it something else, like a, a MacBook Pro Plus. I mean, our our joke was the MacBook Nerd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On our previous episode, MacBook Nerd, I would totally buy a MacBook Nerd with the hardware, everything, keys, and a solid GPU and scissors, scissor keys instead of uh, butterfly. Or, or I'm open to some sort of brand new mechanism that has actual key travel. This just sounds like some kind of XKCD comic, you know, where he does the XKCD phone that has absolutely everything on it. Yeah. So are you going to get the eight cores? Uh, I'm going to get a 15-inch MacBook Pro and max it out. Really? Mm-hmm. Even the four terabytes? Even the four terabytes. Oh so you're going to buy like a $7,000 computer? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I hope you don't drop it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll have insurance. Are you you're are you're getting the Apple Care? Yeah, I'm getting Apple Care, so it's going to be. I think it's like seventy seventy five hundred after everything. It's crazy. Once again, taking personal responsibility for Apple stock price. And <laughs> use your Apple card to pay for it. If it was available, I would actually consider it. Yeah, the three percent discount, and that when you're paying seven thousand dollars. But no, they actually, uh, they have some kind of financing through Apple Business, through their business department. So it's going to come out of the business's bank account, like uh, so much a month, 24 months. You said you were going to like see about like lease versus purchase on the Tesla. Does it turn out that you need a lease for your business stuff to take care of it or? From what I heard, no, no. You placed your order? Yes, I, I placed an order for a new uh, performance Tesla Model S with the whole ludicrous speed. Nice. Very exciting. So once again, I will be a peasant. I've been downgraded again. <laughs> so for everybody listening, Tesla has this promotion where if you were a previous Tesla owner, you can get a performance Model S and they will throw in ludicrous speed, which is $20,000 for free. So basically, you're looking at a car for, you know, a $130,000 car for around one hundred and ten, Basically free. So I'm like, okay, that, that sounds awesome. So I'm sold. <laughs> and maybe you'll get in before they do like a uh, interior refresh where they p- could potentially remove the nice screen and change orientation. I placed my order the end of April. And I mean, there's, I still don't have a VIN number. 
Wow. So, so I, I think it's entirely possible that I'll end up getting the refresh and oh, no. I'll end up, the car will end up being a whole lot worse <laughs> than, what I actu- than what I was actually hoping for. But hey, at least you have three days to return it. Oh, God. <laughs> We're rewiring the house in order to uh, in order to even get the Tesla. We're going to get a 200 amp panel put in the house. And we're going to have, you know, the Tesla charger running to the garage and do all this stuff. And for what? I end up getting a Model S and I return it after three days? No. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Or Tesla goes out of business, right? (laughs) Oh, man, their stock price is not good. Did you see that Apple had made an offer several years back? Yeah. Really? Interesting. I mean, it would kind of fit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I kind of, there's part of me that kind of hopes that the Tesla stock keeps going down until they're acquired by Apple. (laughs) I mean, it would be nice if like they did take over Tesla and then Elon Musk became Apple's product guy. So he could sort of beat some sense into. And as a benefit, Apple can teach him how to present. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. He would definitely have different views on privacy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> so kushal did did you end up ordering a model 3 i remember you talking about that no we're still i mean we're toying with it but uh, we got we got other fish to fry uh, my friend just got one and was renting it out on toro and the 10th driver dented it now now my friend is totally burnt on toro and yeah i was considering renting ours out on toro back when we had like the third one in the seattle area uh but I read some horror stories online and like, I got scared. No. And apparently they were not very good to deal with on the support side. So. I guess it's good that I didn't then. So I have a buddy who got a Model 3 and uh, he ended up doing a test drive on a Model 3. And for some reason, Tesla let him take the car home for the night. Uh-huh. And he ends, he ends up getting into an accident. Oh, no. On their, on their loaner car. Wow. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't his fault either. You know, first thing we're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, you totally screwed up. But no, somebody swerved into his lane and uh, ended up denting the side of the car. And thankfully, since the Model 3 has the cameras. Oh, proof. (laughs) Yeah, there there was proof that, okay, it's not his. uh, It wasn't his fault. I think we enabled sentry mode on ours. Thanks for going on the podcast. It was good to have you on. You should you should come again. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, this was fun. The Oculus Quest was just released, and I got one. Hooray! Um, I got the 128 gigabyte version, and I set it up, and I used it last night, and that is the only time that I've had to use it. It has quickly become a device that my daughter has monopolized to play Job Simulator. Um, even though she technically should not be using it at all because she is not 13 years old yet. And that's what the instructions say. Well, I mean, if you want to take it away from her now, that could be uh, the justification. You, you just show it to her and be like, yeah, you're not 13. <laughs> yeah. A, lo- a lot of the whole point of me getting it was so that the kids could easily use it. So. Oh, okay. So how, how was the setup uh, for the quest. I mean, was it pretty straightforward? 
after I pulled it out of the box, um, I had to go and install the Oculus. Well, actually, I had the Oculus app installed because I have the Quest, but I went and I paired it using the app. Um, basically, I have to go and look into it and put a number into the app to pair, sort of pair it and then use the app to like initiate downloads and initiate like software updates, stuff like that. And after it was do- done doing its initial day one updating i put it on and it has sort of like a camera pass through which is kind of nice so you can see the environment around you it's a nicer pass through i think than the one on the vive it's easier to tell sort of where things are and it takes up more of your view anyway so when you do that if it doesn't recognize the play area it will suggest for you to set up a guardian system for the play area and the way that that works is actually very straightforward. It, it tries to figure out what the floor height is based off of like uh, its image processing, but uh, you can sort of confirm it by taking one of your controllers and setting it on the floor, and that will sort of calibrate the floor height. And then you draw using one of the controllers sort of uh, a box around where your play area is, and that's where it sets up the Guardian. It has sort of like an augmented reality little line that goes all around the stuff that you're looking at in order to set it up. And then you sort of confirm that and go in. And it's it's so much easier, so much easier than setting up the Rift. You were saying that you have to have the companion app on your phone in order to use the Quest? You do. That, That seems weird to me. Like, I was thinking that one of the big deals about the Quest is it's completely autonomous. The Quest is completely standalone. It is standalone in that once it's set up, it does not require anything. And you can, like, buy stuff from within the headset itself. But I think initiating the updates requires the phone. And I I don't know if they just wanted to use your phone to set up your Wi-Fi network and they figured that was the easiest way to do that or what exactly it was that they require the phone. But yeah, you require a phone. And I guess they figure anyone that has a VR headset headset probably also has a smartphone. Do you not have phones? (laughs) Hashtag Diablo. Yeah. So you're saying that there's a pass through. Yeah. So that you can, you can actually look at your environment outside. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you actually have that on, on some degree of opacity? So it's almost more like your gaming is like a heads-up display? I have not seen a way to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, if you go outside of your guardian area, it will uh, transition to the pass-through. So you can sort of see what you might run into. But um, I have not seen any way to like partially turn it on during gameplay or anything. Okay. The the feeling I get from all this is that... uh, some of these constraints are probably from the fact that it's a day one release, that it's, you know, a version in a lot of ways, it's a version 1.0 of the, uh, the product. We'll see. Maybe it's possible that they just wanted to sort of do it in a very specific way and they yeah. don't want other options because they think they might be confusing to people or whatever. And so I, I, I guess I'll sort of continue with my general impressions of the quest. Uh, the screen is definitely definitely nicer than the rift it's a high resolution um the optics are nicer though it seems like they're a little bit more fiddly even though supposedly the sweet spot is 
bigger, it, it felt sort of more difficult to get perfect clarity. Um, though when I did get really good clarity, it was definitely better than the the rift was. So uh, for the purpose of refreshing, um, is the screen on the Quest an OLED or an LCD? I believe it's an OLED. It's a 1440 by 1600 per eye OLED. I mean, that sounds pretty nice. Most people said that they don't notice the the lower refresh rate, rate but I th- I'm pretty sure that I do. Um, it's just like a little bit of a feeling more so than a conscious awareness of it not being quite as high. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that 90 would have felt nicer uh, for journal movement. I'm sure it's perceptible. I mean, after all, the uh, difference between the iPad Pros with ProMotion and a regular phone is very, very noticeable. Mm-hmm. I would get it if it's the difference between, say, 120 hertz and 144 hertz. Sure, okay. But 72 and 90? It, it, it is noticeable. It's not like a huge deal, but it's definitely noticeable. And I, I think that... Um, Impact it sort of impacts like how long I can stay in VR. Being in VR is not quite as comfortable at that refresh rate. I I did use it for two hours straight last night until it warned me about the battery. So that that's the battery life, two hours. Well, it it's it, I got down to fifteen percent after about two hours, and that was doing some pretty intense stuff. So I, I'm I'm okay with the battery life in general. The, the the refresh does sort of get into sort of like the general comfort of the device, which I think it, it's not quite as comfortable as the Rift for me, um, aside from the lack of wires, uh, which is makes it way more comfortable in every other respect. Um, but like the way that it sits on your head, it, it I really want the back of it to go down lower on my head because it feels like it's it feels like it can come off way too easily. And I wish it were more firmly attached to my head. Um, I always felt like I want to pull down on the back of it to try and get it more snug or secure. And this part of it probably has to do with the front of it being heavier than the Rift. And the other part of it is just like, it doesn't seem like it goes down quite as far. Uh, what's the strap like? It's very similar to the Rift's, the old Rift's strap. Um, where there's one that goes over the head and two on the side that you can snug up. That's part of probably why it was more difficult for me to sort of find the part where it's clearest, since I felt like I really wanted to adjust it such that the backside went down more. But if I did that, it messed up the way that it viewed things and stuff like that. I guess guess I'll move on to tracking. Unlike the old Rift, uh, the Quest uses inside-out tracking. It has four cameras on it and a onboard processor that essentially finds features. Um, and it uses that to track the location of the headset and the controllers. When I tried it originally, it was still daylight out and there's no blinds in the room that I tried it in that the tracking when it's very bright is much worse than the tracking when it's sort of nighttime or shadowy stuff like that. Um, very bright lights, uh, well, basically the sun, Re- uh, regular lights don't seem to have any problem, but um, the sun definitely can make the tracking not as good. So no outdoor gameplay. Well, you can see videos of people taking their headsets into a field and playing. 
Um, and so it works as long as you turn off the guardian system, which I believe you need to do via like a, a debug mode. Um, so I think you might need to be a developer to do it. You need to go into lawyer mode. Um, and, and so there's like videos of people going and running through a field, like literally running through a field playing the game. Uh, but generally it's overcast. I think usually when they do it, it was a lot more comfortable for me to play uh, when there was no bright sun shining through the window. Part of the reason was there's like people with lawn equipment that were distracting me, but the, the sun and the tracking was part of it as well. And the, the way that they do the audio is through these basically holes in the headset that they pump audio through. And so it means that nothing is over your ears and it means the max volume is kind of quiet sounding, which was sort of annoying. So the quality seems relatively good, but it's, it's sort of way less immersive than the Rift's ear, uh, earphones, um, since they're not really headphones at all. They're just sort of mm-hmm. speakers that are cl- closest to your ears. And that also means that anyone around you can hear what you're doing. Like they're like, you can go to another room and hear what the person on the quest is listening to pretty easily. Now I'm forgetting, is there an audio jack on the quest? Luckily there is, but I haven't tried it yet. I was going to try that with uh, beat saber later today. And the other question is, do you know if there's any kind of Bluetooth support? I don't think there's any Bluetooth support. Yeah, there's no Bluetooth support. They are the anti-Apple here. They're all in on the 100-year-old technology. But I'm, I'm going to try the headphones later today. I'm hoping that it feels a bit more immersive. In, in fact, the audio is the one, is, is, is probably the most important difference that I found with, with regards to immersions between the Rift and the Quest. I was thinking it would be graphics, but really it's, it's the audio. It's kind of amazing, you know, what kind of difference that would be. Because, I mean, in the case of the Quest, any of the sound you're going to hear is going to be immediately in front of you and that's it. There's going to be no kind of, uh, there's no surround sound. No, there's surround sound. There's, I mean, it comes out of both speakers. It tries to do a good job of positional audio. You can definitely tell where audio is coming from, but it's just, it's not, it's very hollow. It's not a full sound. It's very clear, but it's not full. So too quiet, not enough bass response, stuff like that. Yeah, a lot of that. I mean, I tried playing Beat Saber with it, which I guess we'll get into a bit later. And it sound the music quality sounded fine, but mm-hmm. with Beat Saber, part of the enjoyment is like the very satisfying thunk as you slice through a block, and it's just not there with this audio. Mm. And, I, and I guess maybe this is where I'll get into playing the games. I tried a number of games. Uh, I'll start with Beat Saber since I just mentioned it. it. It's apparently been updated since I played it last, uh, since there's now like a campaign mode that I played through a few songs of. Um, I didn't miss any notes, so the tracking seems to be reasonably good. I did notice one part where I put the controller behind my head when it's starting a swing, and it did pop out of existence for a split second. Hmm. Uh, but it caught it pretty quickly when I started swinging back in. And I never missed a note due to uh, tracking problems, which is good. I think the IMU is better, uh, even though the absolute tracking is not quite as good. The IMU? The inertial unit, essentially. The, the accelerometer. Oh, okay. 
Okay. So people think of the cameras and like Vive's lighthouse and everything like that as being the way that the headsets and the controllers are tracked, but it's mostly the accelerometer and the uh, absolute positioning is just to correct for drift errors. And I think that the accelerometers that are in the updated Rift and in the Quest are better uh, than the old ones were. So they, they drift less, which is helpful for when the camera can't see it. thing with accelerometers, though, is that they're, um, they're used in a whole lot of hardware nowadays. Cause, mm-hmm. I mean, I think every phone out there has an accelerometer. Right. And then there are ga- game controllers now. A lot of them have accelerometers. So, I mean... I can see those improving over time and also the price of them coming down. Yeah. I mean, even what, 15 years ago now, 13 years ago. When the Wii come out? No, I'm, I'm thinking of like um, when we got our IMU for uh, our Axion vehicle, because that one was, you could turn the GPS off, drive a mile and still would be within centimeters. It was that good. Wow. It's it's very possible to have an extremely accurate one, but they are expensive because it costs us like $100,000. Wow. Yeah, so Beat Saber is it's exactly like Beat Saber except that I don't have the uh the the extra songs that I can totally legally download. So I mean, did they close that loophole now or No, it gets on the quest because so that's why I can't like mod it basically. Can, can you sideload Stuff on the Quest, like, is there any kind of port where you can hook up a USB stick or anything like that? I think there's, like, a toggle to put it into developer mode, um, but I'm not 100% sure, and I haven't played with that yet. So this will be a future update kind of thing. But Beat Saber is great. It's exactly the same and pretty awesome, and I will keep playing it. And since, oh, I'd argue that if I actually got decent audio with it, it would be better without the wires. It is not as better as Superhot is um, without wires. So Beat Saber, you're just standing forward most of the time, um, and you don't need to really concern yourself with the wires normally. But with, uh, with Superhot, there's a lot more spinning around motions, even though it was primarily designed for mostly straightforward. But it is very liberating to play Superhot uh, without wires. I found myself walking around the area a lot more, um, taking advantage of like different elements in the levels and stuff like that. Uh, Super Hot is definitely a better game on the Quest than it was on the Rift. Well, another thing with Super Hot is I don't think you're as reliant on audio. Yeah. Oh, that was that was something like the shattering noises felt very way less satisfying uh, because of the audio. I, I really wanted a nice, sharp, hard crackle when the glass breaks, and it was not there. I, I think I might actually play with the headphones on Super Hot as well, just so I can get that. The sort of marquee title for the quest was Vader Immortal, which is a new Star Wars adventure kind of game. I guess I won't get into the plot for spoiler reasons, uh, but you play as a guy. And you do meet Darth Vader, and he is quite intimidating looking. He's very large. <laughs> or you're very sh- you're very short. Oh, I'm sure I mean, that's that could it. be that. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a I'm a puny man. 
Vader Immortal, I think, is pretty well designed. Um, there's like some cool stuff where you sort of use a hydro spinner to pull a thing out of a wall and then you like rip some stuff and basically a lot of stuff where it would be impossible to do in with a regular controller just because of um it while it's super intuitive to manipulate the stuff with your hands on the quest it would be utterly confusing if you were to do it with a controller and so sort of some of the mechanical manipulation stuff is kind of cool that way and then they have some climbing where you grab onto stuff with your hands and pull yourself up, stuff like that. It's kind of cool. Why am I thinking of Breath of the Wild? So what games, what actually comes with the quest game-wise? Is there anything bundled with it or not really? So there's a number of demos and then there's like, there's the, the getting started game. It's not really a game. So there's like a little mini game kind of thing where you where you have a variety of guns and you shoot at targets. That's sort of like as part of their intro. And then another part of their intro is like this cute little robot with wiggly arms, like stringy arms that you can dance with. Uh, it's kind of amusing. So you can like grab their hands and swing them around and stuff like that. It's actually kind of cool. Um, and then there's demos for, I believe, Super Hot and this sports game. Um, Journey of the Gods, um, and a, and a few other games, but they're basically all all demos. Uh, Space Pirate Trainer, um, a lot of sort of the VR mainstays are here and work well and have demos. I was a little bit annoyed that things that I had purchased uh, before did not cross over. I had to buy. I think I had to buy Super Hot again. I'm not 100 percent sure. I bought Job Simulator again. I'm not sure if that's a cross-buy, actually, because I bought it on Steam previously. Robo Recall, I did not have to buy again, which is great. Um, Beat Saber, I did have to buy again. So it's sort of hit and miss for whether or not there's cross-buy. Basically, if it's made by Oculus Studios, it probably supports cross-buy. Otherwise, it's unlikely. <laughs> that's oh, That's kind of annoying. Like you would think that it would just be anything within their store. No, it's because the developer gets to choose. Robo Recall, I I very very briefly played on the Rift, um, and maybe I only played the demo actually, but it came as part of a like a VR game pack I think that I purchased at one point in time, and so it showed up on the Quest, and so I decided to play it, and it is pretty it's pretty fun. Um, so basically the idea is that there's a whole bunch of robots that have started malfunctioning and it's your job to be part of the recall team. So, you know, how like a product, if it's defective, gets recalled. So mm -hmm. it's your job to recall them and you do this by shooting them and ripping their heads off and stuff like that. And then like, it's very portal esque in that, like they say funny things when they're being shot and die and like, I don't blame you. Yeah. And the whole game overall is, has sort of a humorous uh, tinge to it. You, you should probably see about uh, if you can watch the intro to it or not. Uh, the intro is you basically looking at watching a TV through a store window, and there's a whole bunch of these robots all walking or standing around you. And there's like a news report that comes on, 
talking about like how recently in this one sector, there's a bunch of robots that have gone, uh, they're like, do not be alarmed. These robots have not necessarily gone mad. Uh, they've, they, they may not be destroying property and, uh, uh, shooting at people. Uh, please uh, stay calm. There, there's no reason to be alarmed by these robots that are j- jumping around and th- throwing cars, etc. And then it seems to be primarily the, this, uh, the, the whatever robot, um, and then they, they list the name of the particular model that's having problems. And like all of the robots that are around you are like, I am this robot model. <laughs> that is a great model. And uh, it closes off with all of the robots just basically starting and inter- going and turning towards you and going and jumping and grab you. Oh, nice. Yeah. A- after playing Robo Recall, I do think it is one of the games that you should probably try. Just, I, I think you'll be very amused. My, uh, my malicious streak. Yeah. It satisfies that. Okay. Yeah. I very briefly tried Creed, which is a boxing game. And it's very impressive graphically for running on the 835. Um, and it is definitely a, a workout because you're punching nonstop. And then whenever you fall over, you have to do this like arm pumping motion to get you to <laughs> run back to uh, the place. To were, were they trying to simulate punch out, you know, where you're seeing him, you know, you're trying to get little Mac back up. It is a lot like that. And then like a lot of times when you get hit hard, you have to like put yourself into a certain pose to recover. Cute. Yeah. So I, I don't think I would get that game. I just tried the demo. I played the demo for a game called Journey of the Gods which is very cute. Um, it's very Zelda-like. You start off with a sword and a shield, and you can block things, projectiles with a shield, and you physically slash with the arm. And um, it's, it's you know, the style is very Zelda-y. The, I played up until a point where you fight this giant squid, or basically a giant thing that comes out of the ground that's purple and has lots of tentacles. It tries to go and eat the villagers, and you have to save them. Um, that's cute, and I liked it, but I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to buy that one or not. The sports game is weird. Um, I only tried the demo for that as well, uh, but it put me in, like, a tennis court where, like, as things pass over the net, it may hit a power-up, and so, like, your tennis ball might turn into a basketball, and your tennis racket might turn into a ping-pong paddle. I mean, it, it felt like tennis it's, hmm. and much like tennis, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I mean, I think I tried tennis for a couple months when I was in fourth grade. Not for me. Because you're exactly the same physically as you were in fourth grade. Well, doing sports with other people isn't really my thing so much. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like challenging myself, not challenging against other people. Oh, well, okay, I take it back. I like crushing my rings on my watch and showing off to other people and competing against them on the watch, but that's different. You don't have to interact with them during the physical activity. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's part of why I like running and climbing. Anyhow, was there anything else you wanted to cover on the quest, or should we wrap? I, I wanted to get into like some of the problems that I've had. And so the first problem I already mentioned was when it's light out, the tracking suffers. The tracking overall is not quite as good. Then there's the sound. Um, so in addition to it not sounding as good, um, there were a couple of times when it sort of crackled weirdly. 
um, like, like a sort of glitchy sound. It's been kind of annoying. Uh, luckily, that hasn't happened much when I'm actually in a game, um, but it has happened. And then the, the most annoying thing is it seems to not have a good understanding of my game library. I went in and I was looking for Superhot and I couldn't find it. I was like, well, did I not buy it? So I went back to the store. I clicked on it and like, you, you have already purchased this thing. So I went back to my library and it wasn't there. And then so I went to, okay, maybe it's not installed. I went to to be installed. It wasn't there. And then I went back to my library and like, I looked at the top and it's like, how many items are, are there? I'm like, wait a minute. Before it said 14 items are there. Now it only says nine items are there. So things had disappeared from my library. Ooh. And then like I went and I did something else and I came back. Oh, there's 14 again. Why? I have no idea. But wait a minute. Well, let me look at my phone. On my phone, it says I have 18 items in my library. There are things missing even with the larger amount. Oh, man. Well, I mean, that's still day one. I know that the room I'm using the question has the worst internet connectivity of anywhere in my house, but still like it should not matter. (laughs) And so that's been rather frustrating. Despite these frustrations, I would say that the quest, if you are going to get one VR platform, the quest is the one to get. It's just the lack of friction is so important. To, to using these things and the lack of wires is so liberating that it's it's worth it to not have the, the improved graphics and I guess I didn't really talk about the graphics but the the 835 does a surprisingly good job of rendering things nicely I'm, I'm really surprised that how good everything actually looked I mean considering the resolution you're getting out of it that's pretty impressive and you could tell that like the head rendering is at a different frame rate than like a lot of the world rendering stuff so like characters in game will clearly get rendered in new positions more slowly but uh it's not huge deal because like your head tracking and movement is uh rendered at the the 72 hertz rate and so you can tell that and sometimes you'll see textures pop in and stuff like that but overall it it it, it's surprisingly good uh graphically um, I would totally still pay twice as much for like a real CPU, but uh, yeah, it's pretty good overall. Well, maybe in one to two years, they'll get an update. But, yeah. yeah, so overall, uh, I would give it an A-. Nice. I like it. All right, so thank you for listening to ALH with our special guest, Kushal Dave. Hopefully he'll come back. Hopefully we haven't scared them off permanently. Uh, and you can go to our webpage at alh.fm. You can learn about scroll at scroll.com. You can un- harass us on Twitter at uh, Aliens Land Here. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Hopefully I didn't say anything that gets me fired. Blue screen.